Perimeter Church podcast. The king decided to test his seers to find out who sees and who doesn't. It won't be enough to interpret his dream. The seer has to first describe the dream. But it was back when the dream began that God chose to insert himself into history and give the king a lot more than he bargained for. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series The Stand with this message entitled The Extent of God's Sovereignty, which covers Daniel chapter 2, verses 24 through 49. Thank you for joining us today. Let's pray. Let's ask God now to prepare us for the teaching of his word. Our Father in heaven, we ask you now that you would speak to our hearts, feed our souls, enable us to understand what you've done for us. If outside a relationship with you, to find that new this day, if walking with you, to understand more how to know you better, love you more. Thank you for your great and perfect love to us. Bless this time, we pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. Well, for you that are new, we're in a series. It's called The Stand. It's actually coming through the book of Daniel. We're in the second chapter of Daniel right now. So I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to be turning there in Daniel chapter 2. As you're doing so, by the way, let me underscore, bring your Bibles. Electronic or not, doesn't matter. Bring your Bibles. But if you don't have your Bible, know that you'll find it on the screen or in your bulletin. So we'll try to help you every way to follow the, uh, the text that we're in. Last week, as we were in, I think, the third week of the series, when I taught that particular series, uh, that particular message, we talked about out of the, uh, the first chapter and through the second chapter, we talked about this whole idea of God's sovereignty. And we introduced it to say, please understand, we have to answer two questions, every one of us. We have to answer the question, do we believe that God is sovereign, number one, Number two, what do we believe it means for God to be sovereign? This week, we're going to be talking about the extent of God's sovereignty. Last week, embracing the bigger picture of it, but what is the extent? All things or some things? Big things only? Good things only? Well, you learned last week the teaching of sovereignty in the Scripture is that God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. It raises mystery to us because the same teacher in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, who says God ordains whatsoever comes to pass, is the same author who constantly taught about the responsibility of every single Christian, that we responsibly act before God. This series is for our young people. I've developed every message, everything I'm saying, I'm thinking first audience as if the only audience. Young people, children, young people, children, just think the young people. For us all, but you young people, do you understand what the embracing of the teaching of the Bible regarding God's sovereignty can do for your life? In this book, we've been introduced to a city known as Babylon. It's a prototype. It's a prototype of a kingdom, and it's the kingdom of this world. You guys are going to be going to school this week. You're going to walk into a classroom, and it will not take you a week before you've determined the pecking order of that ladder 
that goes up the city of, as we've talked over the last week, the city of Babylon. And you're going to see the people that are at the top and you're going to say, wow, what would it take for me to be up there? Oh, would I love to be there. Others of you are going to be high on that ladder as you start school. Your giftedness, your talent, whatever it may be, your attractiveness. You're going to be up that ladder and you're going to say, man, oh man, is this not life? This is what counts right here. I am living high right now. And folks, all of that is going to be shattered by the teaching of God's sovereignty. The good news, wherever you are on that ladder, you're going to understand that there's another city. You understand that it's the city of Zion, known as Jerusalem in the scripture. And that that's really where we want to be. But God's placed us in the city of Babylon. And it is the teaching of God's sovereignty that takes away any type of insecurity because you're low on that ladder or the pride if you're high on the ladder. All you got to do is understand, embrace this teaching that God has given us on this thing called the sovereignty of God. So let me ask you this question. Tell a quick story. I was in a meeting of pastors. A group of us have been meeting for a number of years. And uh, we're getting to know each other as we've met through the years. And one of the fellows is named Mike. We're in the middle of our meeting, and a man came in and said, excuse me, Mike, and had the news to share that his 10-year-old had died unexpectedly. Hmm. Now you tell me. God's sovereign over a 10-year-old's death? Is God sovereign over the people in your class who are way up there or even those who are not? Is he sovereign? Is he sovereign over all things? Well, this teaching in Daniel 2 showcases the great sovereignty of God and shows us how God is sovereign over all people, all circumstances, all events of history. So if you have your scriptures, open them with me, and let's look at this. This is so much text. I cannot read it all. I'm going to do something today. I bet I've never had as many scriptures in one message, which is not ideal to have too much. You can overdo it. I can't find a way out, so let's live with it, okay? Here we go. Let's first look at uh, the first teaching, which is going to come out of the 24 through 30 verses, which I'm not going to read this portion. It is so long. I'll tell you the quick story. But the first of the three truths about God's sovereignty that we look at is God is sovereign over all people. Now, were we to read the text before us, the story is of Babylon and their king, Nebuchadnezzar. Babylon, the greatest the greatest kingdom of all time. And I'm telling you, it is truly the prototype of a kingdom of the world and its system without a holy God involved. This is where you would find at that time the seventh, one of the seven wonders of the world, the hanging baskets and so forth, and Nebuchadnezzar the Great. And here comes this young man, Daniel. Daniel, a young teenager probably. And he has three friends who have been taken in, in exile to Babylon from Jerusalem or Israel. And as they've been taken, actually from Judah, 
the, the kingdom of Judah, of the southern kingdom of, of Israel, they're taken captive because they're the brightest and the sharpest and the most attractive, and they're being groomed so that they could become what's called as wise men. And now they have become some of the wise men. He and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's at this time that the king has a dream. And the dream has got him so frustrated. What is the dream? What does it mean? And so he asks his conjurers and his magicians, and he says, hey, tell me. Who can tell me the answer? And if you'll give me the answer, then I will bless you with and all this incredible fame and every stuff you want. And, but by the way, you got to tell me what the dream is and the translation of the dream, what it means. Well, nobody could do it. And so he says, all right, if you can't, then I'm going to kill every one of you who cannot do it. And so there is, a, there is the, the execution of all wise men about to take place. Daniel hears it, and he and his buddies pray. Remember last week? They pray. As they pray, God answers. So he runs to the authority and says, hey, don't, don't kill all these wise men. I, I can give you the answer. And so he's taken before the king in this text. And before the king, he says, this is what it's about. It's telling your future and the future of your people and the whole land of Babylon. And he realizes this is really true. The next episode will actually, he'll walk through the detail of what that dream is. But the only thing I'm going to pull out of this text is I want to go to the third part. We don't have time for everything here. But this part here is to suggest, see as you read back through this, how God is sovereign over the exile that leads to the the dream that then is connected to the interpretation of the dream, which leads to, as we'll see later, Daniel being exalted and putting ahead of the kingdom. How does this all take place? Chance, chance, chance. No, 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 no. The whole point here of this book is to show the incredible God and his sovereignty over all. And as we'll see in the third closing point, sovereign over part of this story that brings about the coming of our Savior Jesus. So the whole point here is God's sovereign over people. Sovereign over people. Here's what I wrote in my journal. Uh, This has been a little while back, but I wrote this in my journal. Though there is nothing man can do to hinder God's sovereign plan, our faithfulness, keep that in mind, faith, prayers, and obedience. We looked at those last week ushers us into a rewarding partnership with God in his sovereign work to advance his kingdom. I love that idea of a partnership. I was on a flight, and I was, uh, you know, going into the flight, my typical thing, Lord, I ask you, please have no one sitting next to me so I don't have to talk to them. I would appreciate it, but if you do, I'll do my best as an introvert. I, you know, I don't want to, but okay, God. And Anyway, I was doing that, and so I'm watching to see who's going to sit next to me, and I'm on the aisle, and there's two seats, and so this lady sits down, passes over, I let her in, she sits down, and I'm getting ready to introduce myself, and she pulls out her headphones and pulls out a, uh, a book, and she starts reading, and I say, yes, good, I'm all right, <laughs> all responsibility gone, I can be obedient without having to talk to her, and so I pull out a book, and I start reading, and uh, as we've taken off, and I'm reading for a while, next thing I know, I hear her say, well, that sure looks interesting, and I looked over, and I said, what's that, and we introduced ourselves, her name Martha. And she said, uh, what is that? That's a book on prayer, isn't it? And I said, it is. And she says, well, that's the type of thing I need to be reading. I haven't been to church in 20 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
my sleep came to an end right there. So anyway, I, 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 I said, well, she said, I need to be reading something like that. And I said, well, here, let me make this a gift to you. It's a good book on prayer. Why don't you take it home and you read it sometime? And she said, well, thank you very much. She opens it up and starts reading. So I pull out another book and I start reading. And as I'm sitting there reading, the next thing I hear her say, this is what she says. She says, <laughs> she says oh, my goodness. I look over and I said, what? She says, that paragraph I just read, that was written just for me. I said, really? Why do you say that? And it got into discussion, able to give her the gospel, ended up sending her another, some more information, literature to help her kind of understand the faith and so forth. Don't know whatever happened ultimately. But the point is this, the great privilege we have to partner with God in kingdom activity. That's the whole idea of God's sovereignty. You know, God uses us. He, he plans not just what's going to happen, but he plans what is called the secondary causes that make that happen and the secondary causes that makes the secondary causes happen and you say well well how can that happen that that's where we go into a big problem because we think god is just a very very big human being and he's not he's creator of the universe he's almighty god and at the same time we can believe in the freedom that god gives us individual responsibility and choice you add to the great teaching of this that we see what god has determined all things that come to pass. And then you, you see the great teaching of Romans eight twenty eight. God causes all things to work together for good. To those who love him, called according to his purpose. Wow. Young people, we got something that nobody has. We can trust in the sovereignty of God. He is sovereign over all people. Now, let's look at number two, which should probably be number three in order. But I'm going to jump to the end of the text now. I'm going to hold the interpretation till the end. So let's go to what I will have point number two having to do with circumstances. God is sovereign over all circumstances. So now Daniel has done his thing. He's, he's told the dream and explained it and so forth that we're going to look at. But he's done that now. And this is what we read as follows. Verses 46 through 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was, the, was at the king's court. So you see this incredible prosperity that comes about, this unique blessing. Young people know this. God has promised, he has absolutely promised that he will bless you as his children. He will bless you. Now, there's a condition of obedience. As we obey, he blesses. Here's the problem. We don't understand this idea of prosperity and blessing. The reality is God blesses us by prospering us. But if you hear, young people, listen, if you hear that prosperity in your mind says, oh, I get the best and I get more and I get all the, everything goes good, Adults, if you think you're prospering 
because, above all others, because you haven't had big problems and you've got a good family and everything, and therefore you're prospering more than others. Let me tell you, you don't understand prosperity. Prosperity is having everything you need. The person who prospers has what they need. And here's the author of Proverbs in chapter 30, the wisdom author, who says, oh God, don't give me poverty, but don't give me riches. And he understood that blessing was having what you need. And sometimes for how God's going to use us, he's going to give us more even than we need and others we might at least sense that we've got less than we need, but we got what we need if we're obedient. Or put it this way, young people, a little formula to remember. Prosperity, whatever, whether there's a lot of it or a little or in your view, mine, prosperity is having what you need. But prosperity plus obedience equals blessing. Prosperity plus disobedience equals misery. And let me tell you, the more you have and you apply your disobedience to that, the more miserable you become. Check out Hollywood. Check out, check out, check out. You'll see. It's everywhere. So very important to understand those things. I'm going to skip to the third for time reasons. So much in the text that we could... That we could uh, go into. I'm going to go to number three. And number three simply says this. God is sovereign over all events of history. Here we're going to look at 31 through 45. We'll break that down. Uh, We're going to see through this text. This is a great text. This tells us and shows us that history, as you often hear, is his story. That's history. We read here the dream and its interpretation. I want you to read 31 through 35. It goes like this. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you. And its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands. You've got to remember that, young people. You remember that. A stone was cut out without hands. And look what happened. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all crushed at the same time. Keep that in mind. It's all crushed at the same time. And became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue, listen to this, became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. That's very, very key. Now, he is going to now walk through and explain, well, what is this head of gold and you know, the rest, the silver and bronze. What is all of this? And what he's going to do is he's going to give us just a description here of history to come. This is amazing. He's going to tell us that, oh, this is the next empire that's coming, and you'll see that it is, and then the next empire, and the next empire, and so forth. He tells all of history about to take place. So I'm meeting with people, talking to them about Christ and what it means to be a Christian and the Bible and all that. And how many times I've heard it, do you believe this Bible is actually 
you know, really a record from God that's accurate and correct and so forth and so on. Do you really believe it's inspired of God? And some people, I can't say it to others. I have the freedom to express it. I think about it for sure. But I often say, wait now, are you telling me you don't believe that it is? How can you not believe that it is? Look what happens as we unfold the text. Here is this statue. It's going to represent the kingdom of the world. Here's the rock, which becomes a mountain. It represents the kingdom of our God. It's another way of talking about the two cities we've been talking. Here's first the golden head. The golden head is actually Babylon itself. Verses 36 through 38 reads, this was the dream. Now we will tell this interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given, look at this, the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. When I give the benediction, Jude 20, does that sound familiar? What should be given to God, God actually has given in the earthly sense to who? Nebuchadnezzar, a hater of God? Yeah, because God's sovereign over everybody, everything. There's nothing he's not sovereign over. And then it goes on, 38, and wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the, of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. He has caused it. You are the head of gold. And so, by the way, in chapter 4, I won't read it, but do you know this thing has such an impact on Nebuchadnezzar that he finally says, oh, no, no. Yours is the true God, and to him belong the glory, the praise, the honor, and so forth. He even, as not even a follower of Jehovah, he acknowledges the sovereignty of who God is. Then secondly, we have the silver breasts and the arms. Uh, these are to be the Medes and the Persians. Verse 39a, it reads like this. After you, there will arise another kingdom inferior to you. Now, this was a great kingdom, uh, probably in its, its culminating height, uh, led by Darius. You'll see him in Scripture and know a little bit about that, some of you. But uh, there's the second kingdom. Then thirdly, we have the bronze belly and thighs. That would be the Greeks. And by the way, I think most all agree with this. This is not something that's very, oh, you think this, they think. This is pretty standard acceptance. 39b reads like this. Then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Now, this would express the kingdom of the Greeks. Many of you know the name Alexander the Great, one of the greatest military leaders of all time. He was a genius in that regard. He's the one that actually wept when he realized there are no more kingdoms to conquer. Bless his heart. <laughs> then we come to the fourth, the Iron Feet. That'd be the Roman Empire. Verses 40 through 43, I'm not going to read. Uh, it, it, you can read it on your own, but it's and it even specifically, I think it's verse uh, 41, talks about the divided kingdom. And we know how the Roman Empire was divided to the east and the west. Obviously the case. I mean, this is hundreds of years before any of this history ever takes place. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The reality is that the evil one uh, he can make some pretty shrewd guesses, can he? And he can use his fortune tellers and his mediums and so forth. But it's only biblical prophecy 
that can be so distant in time and absolutely detailed and accurate. So understand this, young people, out of all of this, this statue is very impressive. I mean, it is strong, it is magnificent, it is very much the same as the kingdom of the world today, the Babylon of today. Oh, wow. Look at the people at the top of the ladder. Oh, wow. If I could be there. Oh, wow. What, what can I do to impress them? Oh, what, what can I do to let people know that I know the one that's at the top of the ladder if I can't get there? And that's the way we see it. But there is, fifthly, the rock. We see this in verses 44 through 48, the rock that strikes the feet, and that is Christ and his kingdom. Let me remind you of the 34th and 35th verses we read earlier, the stone cut without hands, that's our Savior. That's our Savior. And that stone strikes the feet and crushes the statue. And that stone becomes a mountain. And that mountain ultimately possesses the entire earth. Here is the meaning You can read it on your own over time. Verses 44 through 48 give you, let me just read it. We can do it. 44 through 48. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all those kingdoms. But it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, And that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now once he's finished that, we've read the text. We understand the story. Now, I know I've only got a handful of minutes. But I have got to read you about five or six quick texts. I thought, how do I pull it out? Make it simpler. you got to hear them all. you got to. Because this is the so what. I want you to read with me, and young people, you listen to these. Psalm 118, verse 22. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's interesting. The story is told of Solomon's temple, and they were, were, you know... um, I don't know if this is apocryphal or real. I was, I was so rushed, I did not get time to check it out. I don't care if it is or not. It's a great story, a picture. But the story is said that, that the cornerstone was apparently cut first and so forth, and, was, and they were shipping all of this stone from the quarries a long distance. And the builders were getting everything done, and they see this thing, what is that? And they couldn't figure it out. It was like a puzzle, and that was not the first piece of the puzzle, so they set it aside. And they began to build and began to build and began to build until they had to place the cornerstone. And then they realized that's what that stone is. It's the cornerstone. we got to have it, certainly. Well, keep that in mind. Again, whether apocryphal or not, I don't know. But take that in mind as you read these verses. Matthew 21, 42. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and is marvelous in our eyes. 
Peter, who makes that comment, you know, upon this rock, referring to Jesus, upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will never prevail against it. Then we see in 1 Peter 2, verses 6 through 8, for this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Remember that, young people. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, trust in God. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. Revelation 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. This is where the rock now has shattered the statue and now fills the entire earth. And he will reign forever and ever. Where will he reign, by the way? On this earth. Kids don't believe. They're floating around, wings, shoulder blades. I don't know. What is, you know. No, no, no. We live life on this earth in a redeemed way. His kingdom comes and we reign forever and ever. And then Isaiah chapter 7 in the sixth verse, we've heard the nations will, uh, were given uh, in Daniel, I'm sure, Daniel 7, that the nations were given authority to rule. It says that in verse 6. Verse 12, their dominion was taken away. Oh. And then we come to 13 and 14, and it says this. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days, God Almighty, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. Remember what Nebuchadnezzar had? Taken away. It's all his. That all the peoples, nations, men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. There's only one more passage to read. Aren't you so glad? Okay. Sorry to put so much, but listen to Psalm 2. Young people, please hear this one. This is what it says in Psalm 2. He who sits in the heavens laughs. That's a laugh of mockery, by the way. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me... I've installed my king upon Zion, my holy what? Mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. All of that, and I close with this. Young people, you're going to go to school this week. You're going to see the ladder. You're going to see the world, uh, Babylon. It's going to be all before you. You've got to be there. You can't escape it. Unless you're homeschooled, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> you're going to see it. When you do, there's going to be this churning inside of where I am and on that ladder, and oh my, and who am I? And you'll feel insecure, or you'll feel prideful. Something's going to probably jump up and bite you hard. 
I want you to remember when you're thinking about that world, think of a pickup basketball game. And there are five players that are on the, the high school team, the junior high team, doesn't matter, middle school, whatever. And they are the five big boys. They're the great players. They are the real winners. Nobody can take them on and win. And you happen to be on the last of the last of the talented teams. You don't have anybody on your team that's any good. Except for one new student that you have finally met when others haven't. He's taller than most, but he's pretty thin. He hasn't developed yet. He's just a young kid. But you've seen him play ball. You don't know of his future. You had no idea that his name was Michael, his last name Jordan. And you've seen him play ball. And you look at him and the four who can do absolutely nothing, and you know he can whip the five of the best of them. And so the big team playing, looking over at laughing and making a mockery of you and making you feel low and who am I and oh you'll never be who we are you'll never have what we have you'll never be as good you'll never beat us you'll never 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 and guess what even as in Psalm 2 as God laughs you have the last laugh because you know what's going to happen you're not going to score you're not going to defend that well Michael is going to get on that court and you're going to just feed the ball to him and he'll do everything you need. You think about that. You remember you're sidelined because you're of this kingdom of Zion. You're just a Christian. You don't do what? You won't do what? Are you serious? Why? But oh, are you kidding? No. Mm. And you'll want to come home depressed because you think you're on the losing team and you'll never win. Hmm. You just remember. You got Jesus on your team, and the truth of it is, you do nothing. You don't even feed him the ball. He does it all. He goes to the cross. He pays the penalty. And he says, you know what? That, uh, that statue of the kingdom of this world, Babylon, it looks pretty good. But get ready, guys. You've got inside information. You're going you're to be part of the kingdom that crushes. Christ will crush the statue. City of Babylon, be gone. You'll reign forever and ever. I tell you what, if you hold on to that truth, it'll set you free. Christian and seeker alike, go to the cross, see what he's done for you. Even as we've read here, what he does for us, he crushes it, not us. He crushes it. We just participate as a partner in his kingdom activity, and that's the blessing of blessings. Always go to Jesus. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us the great news of a Savior, the rock, our Christ, and the mountain that's coming from him. Even as that kingdom grows now, may it continue to grow, but may we have hope in the day that you come back and you crush that statue fully forever, and the mountain consumes all, and we reign with you forever. I pray for these young kids here, the students the uh, young people of this church. God, let us have a different perspective. May we walk through this day, this week, and the year, and the rest of our life 
remembering that you are the great rock and we put our trust in you. Thank you. For we pray in the great name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.